Hey guys, it's your host Lloyd here. This is the Future of Learning podcast. So this podcast is for a range of people involved in learning. You might be a senior leader like me and you want to understand more about learning technologies and where to start on a given journey to help deliver your strategy. You may be a supplier with a great product and you just want to share that. You may also want to network out and understand what others are doing. You could also be a teacher involved in the edtech scene, or you might just be passionate about learning. This show explores all things related to learning and how it can help in your day-to-day role, and that's really important, and the questions I ask will seek to address that. The podcast shows work by me speaking with an expert on a given area, so we'll move beyond my dulcet tones. And we'll speak to people who know what they're talking about. But if you want to know more, then please listen to my introduction episode. It's only four minutes long, but I think it will give you a good oversight of what's going on. So this particular episode is around artificial intelligence. Some people have been using this for a little while, but lots of people, lots of people have been talking about it. And a lot of the literature out there really is about you should panic and you should fear because AI is going to steal your jobs. We'll get beyond that and we have a good good conversation. So my guest is Mark Zal Sanders, who's the CEO at Filtered. I'd like to thank Mark for his time. And also at this stage, thank you guys for listening to this episode. Mark and myself explore various different topics associated with AI for learning. So we look at the definitions, what's the difference between AI, deep learning, machine learning, where does algorithms fit into that? How can the technology be used in your day-to-day role? Also, how might roles change in the future because of AI? Mark gives a really good example associated to when shredders were introduced into uh, people's day-to-day lives. So we then look at some of the costs, benefits of using AI and the things you need to look out for. And then we finish, most importantly, by saying, if you were to start on your AI for learning journey, what things do you need to be aware of? Now, I hope you enjoy the episode. Once again, thank you to Mark for his time and thank you guys for listening to the show. So Mark is CEO and founder of Filter.com. Filtered is an award-winning and patent-holding technology company which uses artificial intelligence and other methods to make intelligent learning recommendations. Mark started his career in strategy consulting before running some other businesses and creating Filtered. Now, before we go any further, Mark, I'm quite interested in the patent that um, I've heard about numerous times before. I'm interested in your strategy background, and I'm also really interested about uh, what you guys are doing at Filtered from a wider perspective. So over to you, if I could. Okay, so there's a lot in that. Um, let me start with the... Get <laughs> used to that. I apologize oh, from the uh, outset. Okay. Well, um, so you mentioned strategy there. Well, um, I'll start with that because that, that kind of happened um, earliest in time. Um, yeah, that was a long time ago, almost 20 years. My career started and I went to a strategy consultancy called Mars and Coast, a small boutique strategy place in, um, in Victoria, actually. Um, and what I learned there was, um, how, how hard some people, um, have to have to work for a living it was it was pretty intense um but also you could see a number of different businesses number of different industries and and the point of strategy consultant is to to drive um success profitability for for clients so you you get a good generalist view of business um and that was always the idea because i didn't know exactly what sector um uh, uh, department function to 
you know, to go into what career path to pursue. So it was a good sort of um, an eye opener um, uh, into various um, different options. And one of the takeaways for me was to to be doing my own thing, um, which I've been doing ever since. There, I was only there actually a couple of, a couple of years. So that was the yeah the beginning of career. Um, then you you ask about filtered, and then I'll get onto the the patent in a in a sec. So, um, well, filtered is. Um, I mean, like you say, we make intelligent learning recommendations. Um, the a lot's in the name, um, and we we had to invest significantly for us at the time in that name, filtered.com. Um, and we picked that name and paid for it because um, we felt that it summarized what we were doing. What we're trying to do is put the most relevant learning in front of learners on an individual basis, so you know, truly personalized. Um, the opposite of the sheet dip approach to training, which which much much of training is, you know, you, I didn't have this phrase when we, we went for filtered, but um, but it's come up since, and it's yeah, it's literally the sort of um, the um, antithesis of that. Um, so yeah, by asking some questions and getting to know um, uh, a learner, you can strip out what's less likely to be useful for them and provide that personalised. Um, uh, set of recommendations, intelligent learning recommendations, like I say, and that's the the product that we now we've built over the last couple of years, Magpie, um, which is going down um, uh, very well. Uh, you also asked. Where did um, just Sorry. before you dive yeah, further? What, what's the history with, with Magpie? Where where was he or she or it uh, born? <laughs> um, uh, it was born in the mind of our chief scientific officer and a co-founder um, with me, Chris Littlewood. Um, why did we go for that? Why did he go for that? Okay, it, it's because it's kind of an allusion to the um, the algorithm naming that goes on at Google. So Google, you may know, um, uh, introduced um, an algorithm or set of algorithms called Hummingbird um, a few years ago. So that basically took, uh, I'm not an expert, but um, it gives you um, contextualized search so, you know, if you're at a certain place and you're looking for a restaurant, it will give you search results that relate to um, to where you are. Um, so we want to go for, for a bird. You know, Google are leading the, the, the way with algorithms have done for some time. So we want to go for a bird. Chris is a Newcastle fan um, and they are magpies. Ah, there, there. Now, now, I'm, now I'm with you. And, but there's another link which is to do with the idea that magpies um, have a degree of self-awareness. So they're um, cognitively advanced as a bird. And given that we're we're creating AI here, um, that felt like um, like a good fit. Um, and there's one other thing actually: magpies go out and um, and look for shiny objects, bring them back. That's effectively what the curation recommendations um, do. So possibly I have personally overthought that and overstated it just then. But um, <laughs> you asked about magpie, and, and there was actually quite a bit of thought that went into it. No, it's good. And just for anyone listening who's who's who has not experienced magpie, it's a chatbot essentially, like you see on uh, many. Facebook Facebook Messenger bots or any anything else similar. Yeah, yeah. Well, and then that's then we got to the path. Yeah, no, no. The yeah, the patent. So um, this we filed for in 2014. So that's four, four years ago um, already now. And this was as soon as we started. So first of all, when we um, started the company and our first online product, it was just a rules-based engine. So that means that you. You ask some questions of diagnostic, um, and on the basis of the results and a mapping between the answers to those questions and your syllabus, 
you can strip out or prioritize certain content. But it's rules-based in that um, you just have these rules. You get that um, uh, filtered um, down course, but it's not going to get any better over time. You can have you know, a million or a billion users and the same uh, recommendations would be made. Um, in 2014, we moved from rules-based to um, an adaptive technology, uh, which we felt at the time um, was sufficiently original and sophisticated that we wanted to, well, frankly, protect our IP um, and um, stop anyone nabbing our, our ideas. So we uh, filed a, a patent with the US um, patent office um, and in the blink of an eye um, also known as four years um, they um, they uh, they issued that they awarded that patent and so now we and now we have it um, and so the way that we get feedback and and um, and use that to update our algorithms and um, uh, the recommendations that are made that's what's patented um, uh, an interesting process to be patent pending for for four whole whole years. You know that it's just so long um, was interesting. That it was with the US. How much it cost us was interesting to me as well. Um, Chris, actually, if you look at his LinkedIn, so it's Chris Littlewood. If you look at his LinkedIn um, profile, you can see some of the articles he's written. He's he's he's, uh, he's written about um, this topic actually. The the patent that he oversaw um, uh, the application of and the award of. It's uh, and that's about as good as it gets from me, by the way, because I'm a, I'm no doubt now going to frustrate you with my naive questions about various topics uh, related to, to AI. So <laughs> straight away, I, I apologise in advance, but I do believe there are lots of people in similar positions like myself who've heard of various terms and probably go to um, Space Odyssey 2001 and how, how and all the way through to the uh, film with oh, Wacking Phoenix, her, have you seen that? You know, when he it. falls in love with yeah, the... Yeah, that's one of my favourite one of these <laughs> so, films. That's, that, that's about where I'm, I'm, I'm pitching uh, my thought process right now. You wrote a really interesting article that addressed artificial intelligence, algorithms, machine learning and deep learning um, and the confusion around the terms. I think that would be a really good place to start. And so can we define these terms and get specifics in place? Yeah, sure. I'm happy to dig into that. But, but before I do, let me give you the caveat that I am not an AI expert. Um, and, and more than that, even what we're doing as a company, we're not... Um, AI is not the um, the be all and end all. Um, it's a means to an end, and the the end, as we see it, is like I said at the start, getting the right learning to the right learner. If AI can help, and clearly it can, then that's part of it. But curation is a big part too. Um, so um, so yeah, a couple of caveats uh, uh, there that um, that I'm I'm not an AI expert, nor do I need to be. Um, uh, you know, being a CEO of a filter because um, that's not the only thing that, that we do. It's a it's a tool um, that we need to to use. Um, but that said, over the last couple of years, I've been doing a lot of thinking and talking and um, and discussing about um, AI. So so I, I should be able to to answer some of these questions. So if we start with AI um, itself, um, well, first of all, it's not very well defined term like some of the other ones um, in that article which are, are probably better uh, defined um, but I would urge you to think of um, artificial intelligence um, you know if you're new to it um, as modeling human intelligence so it's artificial if it's 
if it's synthetic, is it if it's man-made? Um, and then all you've got to so okay, so it's got to be man-made, and um, and it's got to be intelligent. So you really then got to think, well, what is what is um, what is it to be intelligent? Um, and I would say there that you can actually just look at the um, what humans do and are good at. Um, so look at our senses. So we have eyes that see, we have ears that listen, our mouths that speak, um, noses, and we can move around. And, and of course, we can think um, with our with our brains. Um, that's how AI has been set up. It's been to it's been set up to emulate. Um, human intelligence. So, for example, computer vision, of which there's, um, you know, been loads of breakthroughs. It's not not um, the the use of AI that it's not the use of AI that we make, um, but that's to emulate um, uh, human vision. Uh, clearly, the uh, same with you know speech synthesis. Um, uh, that's to emulate you know voice and um, and communication. If you think about um, Cognition um, and the and the brain has a bit closer to to what we do, and an AI can be used to sift through a lot of data, be trained potentially with a, a neural network. We'll come to to, to that in deep learning um, in a sec, no doubt. But if you if you train it, then you can get your AI to make decisions for you, and it's that decision making that can be done at scale and at pace um, uh, that for narrow domains exceeds human human level um, performance and therefore is, is useful even today to um, uh, to mankind. So that's a long answer. Essentially, I would say that it's, um, think of it in terms of human intelligence first and the various senses and the, and the brain that we have. Can you think of an example where anyone listening in you know, their day-to-day lives might experience it or, or have heard of AI? The, the, the example I might give is Amazon Echo, but it doesn't feel that that intelligence is there for it to learn. And I'll just leave that with you. It doesn't feel like to you like it's there, as in it doesn't feel like um, an another intelligent entity in your experience. It's an if this, then that scenario. And what I'm picking up from you is the uh, artificial intelligence would would learn like a human and therefore evolve. Um, yes, but we've had we human beings have had millions of years um, uh, of evolution to sort of perfect our um, neural networks and also all the other stuff that goes with those neural networks, the you know hormonal system and, um, and just everything else. You know the human the human body. Um, we've only been dabbling with AI ourselves for you know what's it 50, 60 years, so we haven't got as far. So I think part of um, in assessing what AI can do in the near term. Um, you got to understand that it's it's severely limited. So so if you can find a domain um, which is specific enough, then it can quite possibly help. But not it won't be all, all domains. Good example is if you saw the Google Duplex um, demonstration. So you know clearly AI is a you know big thing for for Google has been for you know well probably since they started, and they just launched this. For anyone that hasn't seen it, you should check it out on YouTube. Um, this uh, AI that can have a conversation with um, a human being on the phone. So there were two examples given. One is um, the booking of a of a, of a hair, haircut, and the other is um, booking a restaurant. Um, and what they've done is it's it's it is smart in um, certainly at a superficial um, level. It's you know using intonation and pitch and, um, and 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 changes in sort of voice patterns to make that conversation really sound natural so that was particularly impressive um, but by their own admission and this is you know one of the biggest companies on earth and you know by 
as it claims itself, an AI-first company, that by their own admission, they said, look, this is a really narrow domain. We have trained an AI to make book a haircut or book a restaurant appointment. Um, it couldn't have a conversation about, you know, anything else. Uh, and think about how, you know, restricted that domain is just in terms of vocabulary. You know, if you're just having, if, if all you had to do in life was book um, haircuts, you wouldn't need to know that many words. Maybe you would need 200 words or 300 words, but you wouldn't need 20,000. Um, and the combinations then of those words would be far, far, far simpler, you know, just orders of magnitude um, more simplistic. So my point here is that even the most advanced AI company in the world um, is still at the point where, you know, that it can be useful, but only in um, very specific use cases. And the other thing I cynically say, which you might have seen on my LinkedIn post, is, um, you know, they put up those two examples, but how many how many outtakes were there? How many times did it not work out? I would love to see it run for sort of 20 randomly selected uh, restaurants and um, and hair salons. There was a the moment, even in the, the hairdressing example, where the machine kind of froze for a couple of seconds. And I thought, hmm, that's interesting. <laughs> yes. A bit like, you know, when you have Alexa saying, hmm, I don't quite understand that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I agree with your point. I actually, sh I got very excited after seeing the link and I listened to it and I played it to my wife and uh, explained to her the process after she was not, it didn't resonate with her. Oh really, <laughs> she wasn't fell, impressed. Fell down, <laughs> yeah. But um, you're right, I think it's very exciting. And your point is, is a really crucial one actually with any anything like this we get very excited and we can uh, look into the future but actually if the to use your phrase the best company in the world in ai have mm. just got to that which may be an unfair way of saying it that's that's a lesson for us all yeah well they're really good if you if you look at the um the the literature that they published alongside it you know they're really clear about what it can do can't do they're not they're not sort of over overstating the claims i think that the video in and of itself is, is is a little bit um is a little bit misleading um but i think it's really useful for us all to kind of see what is um possible also the limitations what's coming and 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 actually you know think about how that might affect our personal professional lives also how we feel about it you know so a lot of people are saying that this is a very negative thing that you know you could be prank called by um, an ai that sounds like um sounds like a human you know maybe the conversations i'm having on the phone um uh today are not actually delivered by um a human they're delivered by um some sort of bot maybe you lloyd right now are not uh, a real human being you're you're some some bot how does that make me feel don't know intelligent bot enjoyable conversation maybe it's okay but um but i think it's good that they put this stuff out there it just um it's just sort of broadens awareness yeah so it's a bit like if you were you you'd imagine the time and cost saving um a machine or an artificial intelligent being like that would offer but likewise to your point imagine booking a funeral and receiving a call from a automated funeral director that's yeah. not kind of in relation with the ethics there um, as yeah. one example uh, 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 I, yeah sorry go ahead no i was going to say i naturally i'm i'm eager to relate this to learning but um I'm, I'm trying to be controlled and scaffold this conversation so we can get to that point sure. so maybe it'd be good to before we dive into that to move on to okay we've very well articulated ai algorithms and then machine learning and so forth yeah so i would put um algorithms outside of um ai um as in it's a AI is a slightly, you know, it's a subset within um, algorithms. And that's because algorithms really are just, um, I mean, these are sort of better defined. It's just a, a set of rules that get you from point A to um, 
to point B. Um, those can be utterly simple, like um, finding the you know the the average, the mean of two um, of two numbers. Just take the first one, take the second one, add them together, divide by two. Um, to you know, mind-bogglingly uh, complex. But the important point to make, and this segues into machine learning, is that algorithms don't necessarily have to improve over time, even if they're super complex. Um, so clearly you can say with, see with a, an algorithm like finding the average of two numbers, that's not going to get better at finding the average of two numbers. It starts off perfect and ends perfect and is perfect all the way, uh, all the way through. Um, machine learning, if it's okay for for me to go on to, on to that um, is, is different in that um, it takes an input from the results and improves. So um, it is basically a computer or computerized system getting better at a task over time with experience. Um, and that's the sense in which um, it starts to emulate, you know, human beings who get better at stuff. You know, you, 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 um, you, you touch the stove, it's hot, you would draw your hand, you're less likely to in the future because there's some reconfigurations going on neurally and, um, uh, and, and you learn. Um, it's much more basic, the machine learning that we've, um, that we've created, like I've said, than, than, than human neural networks. Um, but machine learning is basically, yeah, it's um, us devising a system that's going to get better with, um, with time. Um, and the subset within that in the article um, was, uh, was deep learning and... Um, well, a neural network. So, in order for a, uh, a computerized system to get better, it could use a deep, layered, um, multi-layered um, uh, system, um, which is like the human, you know, the a neural system. But it needn't do that. And um, uh, and one, and it's not just um, you know, sort of panacea here. But a, a neural network one is is um, relatively simplistic. The ones that we can create, but it's also because of the 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 black box nature of it, sort of like you get an input, you get an output, you train it on a load of data, maybe you're getting great results, but you just don't know how those decisions are being made. A bit like actually, you don't know how other human beings are making their decisions. They can try and articulate why, if they're, and if they're honest, then maybe you get somewhere with um, the answers that you get. But it, it's really hard to know with a, a neural network exactly what's at play. So, and that can be problematic for certain contexts, especially if there are controversial results being um, being spat out. So, so yeah, I think from from the top there was technology generally, and that's basically man-made stuff to make our lives easier. And that could, you know, we think of technology in terms of computers and phones and what have you, but um, but back in the day, there are certain definitions that include tools that we've um, uh, made. Then you get some algorithms, which is rules, and then AI, which is a little bit more um, specific, like I said, related to humans and machine learning. A system getting better and better, and deep learning using a neural multi-layered network, which is a little bit of a technical term. So yeah, that's um that's how I thought of it, and that's why I wrote that article. I just thought the um I actually, to be honest with you, I nicked the idea of um the bottom three, so deep learning, machine learning, and AI, and then I thought, well, actually, this expands above that, and and that wider context might be helpful for the world. So I'll I'll nick one idea and and grow it a little bit. Um, and I think that clarity is important. We had a re- I had a recording uh, earlier, and we spoke about ecosystems, which is a tool used in our um, domain, amongst others, mm. and try to break it down. Used a lot, yeah. What I hear a lot is a lot of people saying we've got this great algorithm. Um, this, you know, they will talk about the algorithm, but there's rarely a uh, clarity around that. So, thank you. Is that certainly helped me um, with my understanding, and I would assume others as well. From a learning perspective, then, are you guys where are you guys coming from a deep learning 
Are you trying to tackle that end? Are you coming from an AI? Where, where, are you, or is your focus on AI? And in the future, you're trying to move towards deep learning. No, we. I mean, we've got a um, part of what we've um, developed is a, a neural network. So we're right at the bottom, um, uh, you know, the sort of the smallest subset, and then all of the above, obviously by by definition. So, um, yeah, we've kind of gone. You know, in the last year, we've gone to that level um, and uh, and deep learning because we think that we can get some better results um, uh, that way, and you know, it gets even you know murkier and deeper than than deep learning. The um, I think the guys are just implemented or using a convolutional neural network, so it gets more specific and even more specific. And I'm definitely out of my sort of wheelhouse of understanding. So yeah, I'll, we'll stay clear of yeah, that. Yeah, yeah please. <laughs> okay, so um, again, we'll go back to the analogy of someone sat listening to this in a similar position to myself in a corporate learning environment and someone in their team or they've attended a conference and they've heard you talk for argument's sake on this topic what would you say then what are the obvious benefits can you talk about the things you've done with organizations or what would the, what would the benefit be to involving yourself with deep learning as an organization well um i think that the reason that you might use ai at all would be to speed up uh, processes that you've already got underway. Um, so if you've got a lot of data and it's just not going to be possible to sift through it in a useful, um, comprehensive way um, by hand, you know, for people to do it, then AI might be part of um, part of the solution. Um, I can give you an example. So if you take a the role of the curator, so curators have to do quite a lot of different things. They have to you know, source and select material and maintain it and find, um, manage it, um, publicize it, present it, and what have you. Now, one element of that is, uh, which I didn't mention, but is, is, um, is classifying it, you know, tagging it so that um, the right people can, can find it. If you think about your, you know, your average big organization, there are tens of thousands, maybe a lot more than that, um, of learning assets that are largely sitting dormant on some server or LMS uh, somewhere. Yeah, yeah. And the curator um, curator or curators at, um, at those companies, they just cannot get through all those assets and tag them um, according to your competency framework or seniority or sophistication or um, whether it's lighthearted or not or, or whatever. And that's where you can bring in um, some algorithms that will look at each asset and um, tag according to, you know, the framework that you lay out. Um, you can train it with some some data so you can kind of set, set it on the right path and check that with, um, train it with human uh, performance and then set the thing to run. Um, and the point there is that for a narrow task like that, and we've done some tests, again, Chris has um, published on this, you can see that performance-wise, it's on a par with human level performance for a narrow task like that. It's not really a very hard task. I mean, you're looking at some words, you're drawing on some stems and then you make it drawing a conclusion about um, what skills framework those that that asset might belong to so that's really really specific it's not like having a conversation with another human being um, but for a task as specific as that you can get results which are on a par with uh, human level performance and and obviously you can do it at um you know a million times um uh, the speed and then if you can do that that quickly it enables you to do other things like make recommendations in our case or, or just use the data in, in different ways. But the difference is not so much, I mean, it's partly speed, but it's also just whether 
you will have it or not. It's not like you were going to wait around 100 days and then eventually the um, the human curators were going to tag it all. It just wouldn't have happened. So you just wouldn't have had any of that capability. Um, and that level of um, use of AI for narrow use of AI is, um, is here today. And I think that's what people don't sort of um, realise that if you can find tasks that are narrow enough, um, it can actually um, help you today. I should actually say one more thing, which is a practical use. It doesn't need to be AI. It could just be automation. Um, it could just be, like I was describing at the start of our chat, Lloyd, rules-based. So it could even be Excel. Um, and sometimes, you know, you could use some, some, you know, some nested if statements in a, you know, slightly complicated or not even that complicated um, formula in an Excel uh, spreadsheet. Do that for your twenty thousand learning assets, and that might be all that you need. In which case, you should you should do that. It, it's AI is not necessarily the best solution. It's it's only when um, it's more sophisticated than rules based can um, can bring you that um, that you need to sort of get that. The heavyweight, the, you know, the big guns out. Yeah, um, uh, a couple of questions and, and or observations. First of all, on the Excel spreadsheet analogy, I, I think a lot of organisations are in that place, or a lot of teams are in that place. Yeah, no one's escaped Excel. My, Thirty-five years later. Yeah, yeah, my fear and anxiety with Excel it involves a human, and if you're involving the human in this process, you're slowing something down and you're increasing the risk. And yeah. automation gives a sense of security and reliability i think when it comes to maybe reporting which goes on to my to my next point um if you were i don't know a director of a hr learning environment you, what's going to be in your head you're going to be concerned about quality of learning for sure but 100 percent, you're going to need to think about efficiencies and costs at the same time um, and when you mention assets are you talking when we use that word asset are you talking let's say about a course in a particular lms or a particular learning environment, or is that assets all available on Google, for argument's sake, which we, we could then utilise? Because then I'm starting to think about the potential cost savings to that when we think about the amount that's spent on training globally. Yeah. Um, okay, so when I use the term asset, and when we generally, you know, feel to use the term asset, we're talking about, um, yeah, it could be a course, like you say, or could be, um, so a course from a library, you know, Skillsoft, Pluralsight, whatever um, that the, the company's bought, or it could be some material that that company has produced themselves, so proprietary stuff um, they developed in-house, or it could be like you're um, getting to their, you know, something that's just online. From our point of view, or at least algorithmically, don't really care as long as um, you've got a little bit of metadata and we can, you know, we, we can run our algorithms with just. Um, uh, uh, title and description so we just need a few words actually to get going but then you know in terms of cost saving yeah that's that's a really well it's a point that should be on every you know L&D and um, HR professionals mind um, do we need to be spending all this money on this library and that library and um, and this LMS when a lot of the the most effective um well, a lot of very good learning anyway is just in the public domain um, and freely available. So, well, I think that will depend on the organisation, you know, how much you, you sort of want to, how acceptable it is to um, to make use of that. But for us, 
we would I mean we would always advise it sometimes the just the best thing that is out there will just be free um, whether you like it or not is you know the best article is written by someone who published it on you know Forbes or an entrepreneur.com or you know, a TED talk or whatever and so it doesn't really matter how much you're willing to pay for it instead you, you, you it, it, the best thing will be um, online I think also yeah, and I'll, you go back to Duolingo as another example there yeah yeah, well, exactly. They've um, they've um, they sort of based uh, the, the the business model as well. So yeah, I think um, going for um, free stuff can save a lot of money, can be the best quality, and and also just provides a lot of variety for the for the learner. You know, they the learners are not first and foremost learners; they are human beings who are you know use for example social media. They'll, they'll be on LinkedIn, they'll be on Twitter, they'll um, they'll just see stuff. People will email them and things, and those. Things that they get put into their inboxes and Twitter feeds will often be these sorts of articles that are sort of freely available, and sometimes those will be the things that hit home. So, to sort of put learning in this um, ring fence, isolated, separate bucket seems unnatural, as well as more costly and all the other um, drawbacks it has. Yeah, I, I think your point there about people. I don't. I, I don't believe that everyone in our industry is sometimes thinking about what they're doing linked to the higher strategy of the business. Yeah. Because once the you know your senior stakeholders are made aware of the cost benefits, that then only helps you with your you know how to roll it roll it out in whatever project it may may well be. And you're you're right again. The best content is, I believe, well not always, but the majority of the time free. Because forgiven, I don't know on an, on a maybe leadership's a wrong wrong thing, but a technical program, I don't know how to fit cables. You can imagine there's some guy on YouTube who has nailed it. You know, in terms of the competencies and where it's, it's delivered and, and so if we go with that example on youtube in a deep learning um, environment would the system be able to recognize through its neural network that x amount of users are finding that youtube video of value and then push it towards them and then now that leads me to how does in your mind how would the um in a deep learning environment how would that interface and those assets be pushed to the learner so that they're receiving and benefiting from quality learning materials yeah well okay so the way you're putting the question makes um that's quite that's quite tough to relate youtube to um deep learning specifically but i'll um i'll do we, my, we can I'll do my YouTube. best it could be another asset no. well no but i think but i think no i'm glad that you mentioned youtube because there's so much content on youtube um and obviously a lot of it is um, you know, not useful uh, to the modern <laughs> professional. Um, yeah, yeah. But even if you sort of, you know, even if it's not point one percent that could be useful in a work environment, that's a huge, huge, huge number of um, number of videos. So I say, first and foremost, if you're going to get YouTube to work for your organisation, which I am a fan of uh, doing. It is tough because you've got to curate. You've got to find these these. Um, these diamonds in so much rough so yeah so you may need some systems to um uh, to get to that and that's not necessarily ai that's also actually not the, not um what magpie our product has been um uh, built to do that may be quite a lot of manual sifting and there may be some automation um that you can do it may just be some sensible decisions about youtube channels that um you rate and uh, i think are sort of high quality enough and and sort of professional enough or aligned enough with your organization to to be able to sort of um uh, yeah, adopt so i think yeah we, with with youtube the big the big job is to uh find a way of curating 
But also, if you think about how many videos you really need for most um, topics, it may not be that much. You know, people don't have loads and loads of time for learning, even if you've got the best array of, um, of assets in the world. So um, the other thing I would advise is, you know, curation is really key, but, um, but don't over-curate. I don't think, you know, once you start getting into many thousands, you, you get into that, the problem that YouTube have or that any of the, the LMSs with just stuff full of content have. It's not really helpful. This is over- overwhelming. Um, so smaller maybe um, uh, maybe better. And still, even if you've got a pool of say two hundred assets, recommendations can be really useful because yeah, again, people don't have um, have loads of time. They want to be drawn to the um, to the right stuff. So I think I've ad- addressed that. I mean, as regards um, deep learning and u- using a neural network, I mean, the way that we would apply that is that you know, if you had a, a client we would and, and they were interested in YouTube and they, they had in mind, I don't know. There must be, say, two thousand assets um, on uh, on YouTube that are going to help our workforce achieve their ends. Well, first, like I say, it's a curation job, which may be part manual, might be automated or semi-automated. But then, in tagging those assets, that's where we would bring our, our NLP and um, and deep learning uh, component of the algorithm stack to um uh, to bear on that on that situation, so that we could tag them all and um, and then make the right recommendations. Okay. So I'm also really intrigued. Uh, you're working with lots of organisations, and we we covered that in the introduction. Are you finding that there's a push and a pull, right? You're pushing it, and you've got businesses coming to you. But the the types of businesses that come in to you are they already aware of deep learning and the benefits, or are you making them aware? And the, let me explain my rationale because I think uh, we, I receive a lot of questions about how do you set up a team in a particular way? How do you ensure that you've got a team and a set of people that have the business objectives in mind and can relate learning technologies to them, find out the best supplies and, and so forth? So I'm intrigued as to uh, that journey. Okay. So do we have people that come to us and, and already have a good understanding? Well, I guess in, in general, the ones that come to us have a, a a slightly better understanding of what we do at least and um and and probably a slightly better understanding generally of um of these you know software um technology ai and what, what have you um but i think um if you went to the sort of population at large and asked them you know questions like or what is AI and how does it differ from software or how does AI differ from, from algorithms or machine learning, there'd be pretty, you know, low level of, of understanding. That's that's certainly something that we've um we've encountered. And, and and even for you know, even for staff at Filter, this is not um this is relatively new to the world and there's education to be done. So my job is, you know, as a CEO is 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 first and foremost if if we're gonna identify AI as being a means to the end that I described earlier, getting the right learning to the right um, learner, then we need to, under, well, I need to personally understand it reasonably well. So I'm, I'm kind of quite well read now, but as a lay person, that needs to be communicated amongst, you know, our team. And we do a pretty good job of that, but there's, you know, plenty of room to um, to go still. Um, and then, you know, as regards to the market, yeah, that's kind of our, our job as a business now is to educate the market about um, uh, AI, et cetera, and how it can be used in learning, making that as accessible and as tangible as possible. Hopefully this um, this chat that we're having, this recording, will um, do something uh, to help with that. And 
I mean, yeah. To answer, to answer your question, you know, is it is it rare the number of people that sort of have a have a um, a deep understanding of this stuff? Then yes, it is, and um, and we just help. We're there to help them with their journey and and, and us with ours to um to to understand it more and just make it as, as tangible as possible. One of the frustrations I feel is that almost all of the conversations about robots, algorithms, AI um, that you see in the sort of mainstream press, almost all of them are you know, robots taking over or robots um fear. Uh, yeah, 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 it's, yeah, it's fear, but it's sort of really unthinking, and it's almost like the same article has been um, rewritten, rehashed, like you know, a hundred thousand times. It's almost a, a, a sort of isomor- an identical article each time. So the royalties for that um, uh, original um, author must be hefty um, and yeah that's a frustration because that's the opposite of education it's just you know repetition so yeah we're, we're trying to be one of the educators here yeah and I think how you articulated the difference AI machine learning and deep learning earlier will help 100% I'm now in the phase where my brain's doing this my hands are pointing all over the place and I might just go from okay. question to question one of the common things we talk about in in the industry right now is social learning we don't have time to say what it deeply what is social learning but I think generally what people mean is collaboration how can we get more people to collaborate because from a learning process they'll be more engaged more motivated and you would think the knowledge would retain more we've gone front end we've identified the assets we've discussed data but now I'm more interested in that manipulation of the data so even if that's the right word to use so you, you've got a team or people um, behind the scenes. And let's say if I want to identify the best social learning assets, h- how would I go about that with the um, deep learning tool? And I would assume that, let's say, for example, it might then highlight MOOCs or lots of different MOOCs or is one example there. So what do you mean did by that? Did I, did I explain um, that? <laughs> um, almost enough. Let me just get one point of clarification. Um, when you say the social learning assets, what did you mean by that? That's a term and phrase we use a lot. So let's say if I wanted to look at all of our assets and filter the ones that are best um, for social uh, learning, so collaboration, could the what's put out and presented to me, could that then be changed based on, I don't know, clicking a button that's predefined social learning? Yeah, and I might need to explain that a bit no, more. I think, unless... <laughs> I think I do. So you're talking about that sort of more yeah, informal. It might just be a note from one person to another on some sort of shared system, be it Yammer or or, um, or conceivably even LinkedIn. Um, uh, and could those be used as assets um, alongside the sort of more formal, um, regimented um, learning assets you might get from a catalogue? Is that what you mean? Yeah, yeah. So it's a bit like if you go and search on YouTube, you can search on various different filters. You can say this videos. I want videos from the UK. I want videos that are five minutes long. I want video with, tra- you know, so you can turn certain mechanisms on or off and then the data will be presented back based on those scenarios. Mm-hmm. Maybe so social learning is it's just one example. What I'm trying to articulate is these random challenges come to us from the business um, when we we might say we've got this um, deep learning machine and it's got loads of data and it understands what our people are doing and how people are learning best and someone might say okay now can we flip that around for this particular objective and the social learning piece might be one of them well um, so what i'd come back to is um what i sort of generally rely on in a uh, conversation like this is to uh, is to talk about metadata so to get any of these assets to work for your company it means you need to know some stuff about the assets and some of those tags that you have will be empty some of the data will be bad so a, a big thing is to sort of fill it with um with good data and some of the, those um those tags might be might be social 
uh, tags they give you an indication of yeah popularity and or an unlikely future popularity or, or not depending on on the context if the metadata is there and it's and it's um and it's good then it can be used to um yeah, either in a rules-based way or um or to train um algorithms for um, assets where you don't have that data so so i'm not sure that fully answers your um your question but the social i mean the other thing that i would say that anyway about um about social is that the way that we human beings learn is, of course, often social. It's um, it's probably mostly uh, social because it's us doing stuff um, in many cases with um, with other people. But in terms of sharing and collaborating, our view is, uh, and this is not to you know um, uh, try and disparage or, or whatever the, the various you know successful and uh, and high quality learning uh, social learning platforms out there. But I would say that a lot of the the sharing, at least, of those platforms happens anyway. So, for example, if I'm on Twitter and I see an article that I think will be relevant to someone, um, I generally don't share it within Twitter, and that's. You know, and that's Twitter talking about with 350 odd million users and, and a very sort of slick um, and robust uh, uh, platform and interface. Um, I will I'm not really actually sure what I do, um, but I'll do it through the the my iPhones um, sharing facilities, uh, native facilities. So my point is that the sharing happens anyway most of the most of the time. And and if you want to share it with someone out of your organisation, it isn't on your social um, platform, then then you can do that if you're in a in a um, currency that which is common like Twitter or like um, like email. So although social, I think, is big, um, it's not to expect people to behave socially the way you want them to on your platform is um it's a little bit ambitious here we go i'll, I'll throw another one another question at you and uh, <laughs> we'll prepare for this 20 years ago in the there was no thing no thing if you like as digital learning maybe maybe 30 40 years ago let's stick with that and there became a point i don't know early 90s mid 90s where everyone got very excited about microsoft powerpoint and that was the new innovative way to deliver training and teach and then early 2000s late on concept of e-learning was born and we started to design and curate all the while jobs in the industry had changed because of the technology available at that time do you see an impact with ai um, or deep learning sorry yes deep learning was <laughs> whereby in the future maybe the jobs are related to data analysts are you aware of anything and I can sense that's the shift because um, um, we speak about fear, but I think that's the opportunity for the industry. Yeah. Um, so I, th- I think with the advent of, well, like you say, I mean, going through the timeline, you know, computers, uh, well, several decades ago, but I guess 80s when it became, they became mainstream. Um, and then more recently, uh, well, for, further automation and then, and then more recently um, AI, there's already been a significant shift in terms of those skills which are in demand, like data science um, and, and coding and, and what have you. So, you know, that's that's pretty rapid. That's happened in, um, you know, like you say, 20 years or so. Now, will that happen um, further with, with AI? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you, you want to have um, machine learning specialists, but machine learning specialists are, um, I think, are, are always going to be so reasonably few and far between. And the, the, the major impact, um, so those skills are important. And I think, you know, we should be doing what we can. You know, your kids, my kids should be um, encouraged, um, not forced, but encouraged to... Um, uh, to Showing the benefits. 
Exactly, and, and and be exposed to that sort of um, uh, education and, um, and and those skills. Um, but I think the big difference is going to be in the in AI carrying out some of the tasks that people perform in their jobs. But those are generally going to be the more monotonous tasks, and that's already started to happen with automation. You know, things like. I mean, even like shredding machines, that's automation, right? But before that, um, if it's deemed important enough, someone had to shred that stuff them, themselves, a human being. So in general, because the we are sort of um, innately curious and interested beings, it is by definition the mundane and monotonous tasks that are simpler and therefore those tasks that are more likely to be taken over by um, by AI. So um, to come back to your point about being positive about things, um, we've got this wave of technology that's coming to take away the most, the dullest tasks away from us. And yet everyone's, um, you know, sort of up, up in arms. And it means that people that are, you know, for example, I gave the, gave the example of curators um, earlier, rather than having a curator, let's say an intern, um, go through thousands of, of assets and tag them, get a machine to do that and then get the curator you know and even the intern to um to review that or um think about what to do with that um with that data when they've got there much more interesting for most human beings mm, i enjoyed that particular discussion uh, so i've i've got um one more question uh, for you on this main discussion point mark and that is imagine again someone sat here all of this is completely new to them and uh, I've mentioned to you before about a roadmap. So they're aware of various learning technologies that are out there to use and add benefit. And they've decided to get involved with deep learning. What would be what would be your kind of one or two main points you of advice you would give to them as to where to start? I would say, first of all, don't don't just be committed to, you know, using using AI or deep learning or machine learning Um this is such a cliche, but you know what's the, what's the problem that you're trying to solve? And um, and we would genuinely say, you know, if it's not, if, if we don't think that that is necessary for your um, for your particular business situation, then you don't need to um, go down that route. It might be humans can do the job, semi-automated or, or rules-based. So one sort of ascertain that the problem really does require that sort of um, uh, heavy-duty um, uh, approach. Um, I would also, I mean, you, you mentioned earlier when we were talking, Lloyd, um, a lot of vendors will talk about, you know, their algorithm. And that's uh, that's good that, you know, that more, more vendors are aware of um, the benefits the algorithms can bring. Um, but ask them some questions like, you know, what really does your algorithm do? Uh, what what um, benefit does it confer beyond um, human beings? Is it adaptive? Um, is it just an algorithm which will not improve over time or will it improve over time? And if it will improve over time, can you quantify how much? You know, ask um, ask some questions um, uh, like that. And then also to do with the IP, um, do you own that technology? Because and I say that because there's a lot of off-the-shelf um, open source um, AI out there. And you want to be sure that if you're, you know, coughing up cash for um, uh, a solution, it's not something that, you know, was available for free with a little bit of config. So a few questions um, there, you know, does it really confer an advantage? And, um, and the last one was, do you, um, do you necessarily uh, need it? Okay, thank you. So we're going we're gonna to wrap up now with some quick fire questions. Okay. This is um, mainly to satisfy my own intrigue about learning and how people learn on an individual basis. Um, so bear with me. So they're um, quick fire questions, does that mean my answers should be quick fire as well? Like sort of, they can be, but whatever you're comfortable with. Okay, they haven't been so far for the previous questions, but it's it's all healthy debate. So we've discussed learning a lot 
for you, what does a great learning experience look and feel like maybe in the past, in the future or one recently? I guess it's one where it doesn't feel like a learning experience. You just sort of lose yourself in that experience and it's doing some some good for you and it, and it feels good. I guess a bit like um, you know, a song you just enjoy. You're not it doesn't feel like it's a song. You're just you're just enjoying that um those moments of life. And if it's a well chosen by you or an algorithm, but anyway, well chosen piece of learning that that happens to be delivered well to your style to and solve some sort of problem that you either immediately face or may face soon then that's um then it's then it's more likely to to get you into that state um of flow and and just enjoy it so good experience is one that doesn't feel like a learning experience so like a mindfulness type you're in the you're in there in that yeah. zone yeah okay uh are you a book or a kindle person mm, book 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 Everyone's a book. Anytime people say the Kindle, they, they kind of justify that they take it on holiday. Well, why a book and not a Kindle? Well, I, well, I don't have a Kindle, for one thing. But I, I don't actually have the, <laughs> That's a good place got, to start, right? I've got yeah. the Kindle app, and I did have a Kindle once. But I just found, I guess this is what everyone else says as well, that, you know, just thumbing through, turning the pages physically just feels still you know even after 10 years of, of um the kindle being around it's more natural and preferable to me Wait, so um let me dive in deeper when you're reading a book then um are you is it just page to page are you having a conversation with the author do you do anything in particular after you've read with any notes or or anything no i just read it <laughs> Okay, you're one of these people who can retain everything. I'd imagine as well. Well, no, definitely not. I've actually got no, a really bad, um, uh, really bad memory. And so, what I, I am pretty meticulous about is in is in meetings. I'll take loads of notes. But with a book, it's uh, certainly if it's more enjoyable, then um, no, there's no uh, notes being taken. The final question you've got from me in our collective industry or your your industry, if you could change one thing, what would it be? It's the unthinkingness of of some people in the industry to certain um, ideas. So, you know, sort of unthinking adoption or unthinking rejection of, um, of certain ideas. Uh, if that doesn't count, because that is um, me repeating the, 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 the answer to the previous question, I'd say it's um, just us getting a move on with technology. We're, we're still using um, technology from, from 20 years ago with, you know, SCORM and AICC and what have you. So that's really a long time. And we're just so far behind, you know, media and advertising, news and entertainment and all these other sectors that are understandably then, you know, come across as, and are thought of by us as, as being sexier. So, yeah, um, two things. One, thinking more. Um, uh, and the other would be to uh, adopting um, modern technology sooner. Yes. Okay. Thank you. So before we fart, I finish and say thank you, um, anyone listening can get hold of you via what mechanisms? Connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, my Twitter handle, I think, is Mark, M-A-R-C-Z-A-O Sanders, um, Mark Zao Sanders. Um, but yeah, like I said, I'm on LinkedIn as well. So Okay, and I'll share those out as well. Yeah, thank you for your time. Thank you for yours. I'll speak to you soon. Um, cheers, Lloyd. Guys, thank you so much for listening to this episode. I'm really, really grateful you've taken the time to explore what the podcast had to offer. I am fully aware that there are hundreds of thousands of podcasts out there and you've chosen to listen to this one. So I'm very grateful. 
If you want to know more about this episode and some of my thoughts and reflections, so when I do the podcast and I edit it, my learning really comes from me taking the notes and putting and aligning my thoughts uh, together. So I've got a blog. You can go to my uh, website, which is lloyddean.co.uk. You can find the link and you'll see the blog there amongst other things. Next week, just as a bit of a teaser, I'm looking forward to exploring digital credentials not badges credential and there's a reason for that so i look forward to that episode but if i could ask one thing at this point if you're if i've kept you and you're still listening i'd be very grateful if you could share your experiences with the podcast to your audience that might be through your emails at work it might be through linkedin it might be through twitter or facebook or whatever it may be i would be very grateful if you could do that i'm trying my best to get this out there to a wider market and if if it's offered value to you I hope it might offer value to someone else that you know in a similar role but at this point I just want to say thank you again and I look forward to the next episode